Thank you, sir. It's good to be with you guys. Many things to cover this evening. Um, First, I just want to real quick uh, say it's an honor to be here with you. Um, If you want to get some more training, uh, we're going to be covering authority this evening. I'm going to be teaching on deliverance, another part of deliverance, tomorrow night in the chapel at 7 o'clock. I would encourage you to join us. Um, Last month, everyone got delivered, so I was pretty excited about that. Um, We're we're talking about uh, becoming a prayer warrior, and we're working through spiritual warfare. And um, a lot of people have confusion over this, how it works, and so we're trying to lay a biblical foundation and then get some practice on how to actually do it. So, again, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in the chapel, we'll be over there and we'll be doing that. So, with that, um, so this evening I'm going to be working with you on biblical authority. They, they presented two requests. Could you teach on uh, Christ being king or whatever you want to do? And I usually just say, well, whatever you guys say, I'll just take it and run with it. But it felt like the Lord wanted me to stay on this. Um, as an introduction, real quick, every December for the last decade uh, or more, well, probably now 15 years, uh, I, usually in December, there's not a lot going on in the ministry that I do because I'm traveling. Everybody's having Christmas parties and stuff like that. So I always shut the ministry down for three weeks and kind of hibernate in my basement and not shower. It's kind of disgusting. But um, about 15 years ago, the Lord um, said, well, instead of just watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol and stuff, I'd actually like to have a talk with you about what's going to be happening next year. So why don't you get out a piece of paper? Now, this is 15 years ago. And he started saying, so June, July, and August, I'm going to be doing this, and I want you to teach on this. So this will give you some context. Well, last year, um, I got out my piece of paper and pen, and I said, well, what's coming up next year? <laughs> That's before all this started. And um, the Lord uh, started having a conversation with me where he really just kind of laid it out to me, and he said, your assignment all year long is to teach on authority. Um, He just said, my church doesn't understand their authority. And if they don't learn to move in their authority, the things that I have for them, they're not going to obtain. Think about this. We have all these promises in scriptures that are yes and amen. But if we don't know how to exercise authority, that can all be true, and we see none of it in our lives. And so we have to actually... Understand authority, so we're going to cover some of that. We're going to, we have to understand our identity when it comes to authority. And then we're going to have to learn how to exercise authority. <clears throat> Each one of them is something that we have to grow in as believers. So, would you guys, um, let's look at how Jesus talks about this. First thing I want you to do is I want to just kind of... <clears throat> address what you're dealing with when you want to exercise authority. And you're going to kind of go, well, why, is that, why start with this scripture? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, if you can just take your uh, Bible and go there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is a well-known scripture. Anytime you and I decide to be the way Jesus has called us to be, we're coming against something. So recognize this. Anytime the word authority is used in Scripture, power is connected with it. So why does God need to give us power when it comes to authority? Because we have to have a certain level of power to deal with the things that God wants us to stand against. And so God gives us power and authority. And and basically here in 2 Timothy, uh, we could go a lot of different directions, but I want you to catch it. It says, 
For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which was in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, uh, some translations it has timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. Now, interesting enough, it says God did not give us a spirit of timidity. The best way that you can see that in the original language is not timidity. It's the, it's the word for cowardice. It's also the word for future dread. So God has not given you a spirit to be afraid of things. And he, hasn't, and he also hasn't given you a spirit, a spirit that looks towards the future and doesn't believe that God is going to be victorious. And so you, this term, sometimes we use the idea in our culture is when it says spirit of something, we think, well, that means the attitude of something. Sometimes the scripture does mean that. This passage is not using that reference. When it says spirit of terror, it's talking about a spirit, a real demonic spirit that creates terror in believers' lives. This is what steals faith, hope, and love. And so the Bible's giving you a contrast. It's saying if this is coming against you, if this is what's flooding your mind, and this is how you look at reality, God did not give that to you. What does God actually give you? God gives you the spirit of power, love, and the word here, they translated discipline. That's a weak translation. It should be um, sound mind. Now, the Greek word for sound mind, again, uh, means this. It's the word for sozo, and it's the second part of the Greek word is the word we get diaphragm from. So it's sosophram. I'm, I bet you're excited you got that. So that actually means that salvation, healing, deliverance, salvation, should be the breathing pattern of how you think. That's the word diaphragm. So when it says God did not give you a spirit of fear, it says he, here's how you know you're breathing the atmosphere of heaven. You think in the arena of power love, and wholeness. And it's giving you a contrast. Recognize this. If this is not flowing in you, you have to come against this with authority. All right. Now, with that being said, look with me at another passage. Go with me to John chapter 20, verse 21. So I, I began, and I'll, I'll develop this a little more with you. <clears throat> when we talk about authority, as I said it already, and I'll reaffirm it again, you have a position of authority, you have an identity in authority, and you have to exercise authority. Those are three ways the Bible talks about authority. So when, um, I think the best example of, well, what kind of authority has God given us? Now, I'm going to hit it at two different ways. Most of the time when you tell people, you have a position of authority, and I'm going to show you this here in a moment with a certain scripture, a lot of people think, well, yeah, uh, the way the Bible describes it, I'm, I'm, I've been given the authority to be with Christ. But they think, well, that's, that's up in heaven, and that's in the future, and that's kind of my prayer life. And so what I want to do is I want to take a statement that Jesus says to us as the church, the body of Christ, and put it down on what we call living everyday life. So what kind of authority has Jesus given you for everyday life? What well, tells us here in John chapter 20, verse 21 And Jesus said to them, that's you and me, Peace be to you, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, catch the point here. The same way the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So this translates to the reality that the same authority that Jesus had, he's giving you. 
The things that Jesus did, you're to do. And that means that anywhere where I see limitations, where Jesus had authority, and I don't believe I can enter into that realm, I'm believing a lie, and I have to break it by exercising authority in that area. So Jesus is saying, okay, you're going to learn positional authority, but you need to understand the realm or the arena that you're allowed to have authority is everywhere I exercised authority on the earth when I lived here, you're to do the same. So now let's just stretch your brain for a minute. Uh, When you hang out with Pentecostals and Charismatics, we kind of got some of this down, like, well, yeah, that means healing the sick and driving out demons. Now, I I like that. I enjoy doing that. That's my fun also. But that's not the only place Jesus had authority. Do you guys realize he had authority over weather patterns? He had authority over things that were going on in the heavenlies. He, he actually, people challenged his authority all the time, and anyone that tried to address his authority said, really, you don't have authority over me. And I've been amazed at looking how Jesus talks about authority and what I would call my misunderstanding of it, and hopefully with what we're going to look at tonight, you and I can arrive at a place where we start understanding the idea of how authority works. All right, now let's get into this. So when we talk about authority, what are we actually talking about? Definition, authority in Scripture. It means the power and the right delegated to someone. It's the authorization that is given to you. So when you think about this, this is how you understand authority from the Bible. It is something that God has chosen to give to you. And so you have the right to use it. It would be the idea that, you guys understand, if I went to a police academy, did all their exercises, shot all the targets, and then they, I put on the uniform and they put the badge on me, police authority wasn't poured into me by doing all that. It was conferred upon me. All right? I didn't become a person of authority because they stuck a badge on me. I assumed the authority and then I exercised it. It was given or authorized to me. You're allowed to have authority in this area to do this. Thing. Well, when you, when you and I have authority, how do you know you're actually exercising authority? Now, I think about this all the time. When I pray for things, or I pronounce things, or I speak to things, if it changes, I'm actually functioning in biblical authority. If I'm yelling at it and nothing's changing, I'm not functioning in biblical authority. Because biblical authority always has a response of power being released behind it. It changes something when it's released. So this, as we start working through this, this should make you begin to ask a question. Is some of the stuff I'm doing, am I doing it because I think I'm expressing authority? Or is there something changing when I'm doing this activity? I don't know if you guys do this. Um, when I, I've gone to two different types of colleges. I've gone to a Bible college, and I also was trained in arts. I actually have a degree in art. And uh, what I liked about art school was, uh, here, think about this. I go to this art college, and the best artists from all around the world come to these colleges. And our professors used to do this. They'd tell you you had an assignment, and then you'd have to put the assignment on the, the board in front of all the other students, and they were allowed to pick it apart. It was, it was humiliating. But, man, it sharpened us up. Now, I used to think, well, why would I put myself through that kind of thing? 
if you never go through a process of being evaluated and look at things critically and saying, how can I get better at this, you never grow. This is why the Bible talks to you and I about iron, sharpening iron. You and I have to submit ourselves to the process through the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ to say, are the things I'm doing, do, do I understand the principles, but I don't know how they work, or is this having any effect? I mean, do you guys ever kind of look at your life with the Lord and saying, really, does my prayer life change anything? <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, so... When we say that we have authority, we measure our understanding of authority by how much power is released into whatever we say we have authority in. Okay, so that's the first thing. So what do we mean by authority? We mean the power or the right to use that authority in a situation. So the Bible actually describes it as this way. The Bible describes your authority based in relationship. So, The Bible has this really interesting position with you and I about how things work in the kingdom. When God is your source, all things are possible. When I don't tap into him to be the source, everything that he promises doesn't get released. And so the Bible comes to you in two different ways, especially when we talk about authority. It says, all right, authority is never without the presence of the Lord. And authority only works with the presence of the Lord and the principle that God gives for that place of authority. So, you guys ready? If you and I go to a job, we have to go through a training process, like building a house. We, have to, you don't, we don't just get a bunch of wood together and say, you know, I know how to build a house. And then we just throw it in a pile, pour concrete on it, and just throw nails on it and go, look what I built. We spend time with a carpenter. He sits there and says, no, hit the nail this way. And here's how you pour concrete. And that's not the best way to make concrete. And here's how you actually put drywall on. And here's how you wire and all that. And you have to go through an apprentice to learn the principles of building and becoming excellent at it. What's the same thing in the kingdom? There are principles on how authority works. If you take time to learn the principles, you'll see breakthrough constantly. It's not that you don't have the authority to do it. You just don't know how to exercise it properly. Now, what the body of Christ does is they confuse these two things constantly. They think, all I need is the presence of the Lord, and I don't need the principles. And then there's another group over here that says, it doesn't matter if I have the presence of the Lord, the principles work all the time. Well, we have to actually come to the balance of it and say, no, it actually works properly this way. I have to have the presence of the Lord, and I have to understand the principle of how it works. So... What is this based on? The first part of this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And the Bible begins to describe this authority that you and I have been given. Where, where did it first come to us, or where do we understand it? This is amazing. Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. You have God creating you and I in the image of God. And, and this is important. Sometimes we get confused by this. Angels were not created in the image of God. God created angels, but you are made in the image of God. Okay, so you're a higher order of God's creation. doesn't matter how much power they have. Don't think about that. Think about how God has described you. So here God wants something that represents himself on this planet, so he creates you. So here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
when he says, let us make, and then he says, and we will give them dominion. When he says that, he's taking his authority to rule on this planet, and he's transferring into the likeness of who he is. So what he's like in heaven, we're to be like on earth as an exact representation of him on this planet. And so when he says, let them have dominion, that's where this is the, the part of creation that just confuses people about the mind of God. God looks at man and he says, I'm going to let them be the legal authority on this planet. I'm not going to do anything unless they welcome me into it. By the way, just so you understand, this is an eternal principle. The kingdom of darkness cannot do what it wants on the planet unless someone on earth comes into agreement with it. So, does this bug you guys? It kind of messes with my head. All the evil on the planet and all the good on the planet that heaven and hell are involved with is because man has allowed it. So, so God has determined that you and I have a place of authority by the way we were created by the Lord. You were created to be the legal authority. Now, this is going to make sense as we talk about the things Jesus has called us to do. You are the ambassador of God on this planet. You represent his kingdom by how you live your life, what comes out of your mouth, and the things you give your time, energy, and resources to. All right, so the next one is this. As I said, there are three concepts of authority. Positional authority, identity and authority, and exercising authority. So let's go back to your position. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, tells us this. Now, I gave you John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, Look, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. Now, here in this passage, it's going to give you a positional statement about your authority. So, think about this. Uh, I hear people ask this question, and I think it's a great question. I, I recognize I have authority on demons that are doing stuff to people on the planet, but do I have authority over demons in the heavenly? I, I always hear that discussion. You shouldn't go speak to demons in the heavenly, or you should never speak to the devil, or any of that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Problem is, is that's not biblical. How can you say that, Brian? Well, here in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, He raised us up with him, made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So it uses this term in the scripture, going through the heavens, three levels of heavens. And at the highest level, the third heaven, is where Christ is seated on his throne. The idea of him being seated on his throne represents that he has absolute authority over all three realms of heaven. Now, where are you in position of him having absolute authority? You're seated with him. So you have the same authority in all three realms as he has. Well, he has absolute authority. What level of authority do you have in all three realms? And so, now here's the part that we have to grasp. Just because I'm positionally in that place, I still have to be given the ability to do what he wants me to. I'm under authority, even though I'm positionally in the highest place. So God's always going to be God. He always decides what he wants to do. And you and I have to learn this tension called becoming responsive to my position of authority. So think about this. Your prayer time isn't you standing here talking up into heaven going, oh, God, please do something. It's you and God sitting at the highest place in heaven looking at the affairs of men and going, what do you want to change? And then he says, now you go over here and go do this. And then you say, okay, give me all the power to do it. And he says, go do it. 
and then you release it, and it changes things. You're governing with him. In fact, this idea, uh, back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, when he says, I have given you dominion, that term for dominion has gotten a bad language behind it. It's the, the Hebrew word marshah. sounds like marshal, doesn't it? That's where we get the idea of a marshal. It means the governor. God has made you the governor to govern whatever area he sends you to. So you're the governor of your family, whatever state he's put you in. You're the governor of this state. (laughs) Yeah, well, so there you go. So, guys, now think about this. Um, How many of you would say, I believe prayer changes things? Okay, so that's the correct biblical response, right? Well, if that's actually true, one of the words that Jesus uses, one of the terms for churches in the New Testament is it's the term for the gathering of his uh, authority in a region so he can tell them how he wants them to rule. And so whenever you have earthly governors say, we're going to do this, the church comes together and goes, well, what does the Lord think about that? And then we come into agreement with him and say, Well, if that's not what the Lord wants, we just cancel what he just said, and we say this is what the Lord's going to do, and we release that into that situation. Do you guys, do you ever feel like you react more to things than you're proactive as a believer? God didn't tell you to sit around and react to evil. He told you to stand before the Lord and say, okay, now here's evil over here. How do you want us to go into that situation and change it? That's why God always makes you the underdog in every situation. It is. Biblically, that's why God does it. He believes that one person can change a nation, so that's how he sends you to learn your authority. He sends you into the group that you're always defeated so that you can understand that you actually have authority over all of it. The the whole concept of being salt, remember Jesus said, I've made you the salt of the earth. The whole purpose of salt is to go into decaying areas and bring life to them, and bring flavor and the favor of the Lord. So, of course, God's going to put you in the middle of the most ungodly, evil thing on the planet, and then says, flourish. <laughs> She's the only one enjoying this, so uh, let's, let's move forward. So, I mean, we're all living reality. I don't know how long this is going to be out in the Internet, but, guys, I'm watching everything that's going on on the planet right now. I get really excited when this stuff's going on. But it's it's not going our way. How are you ever going to learn authority? If God always sends me on a vacation, and I'm buffeting my body 24-7, I'm never going to learn how to exercise authority. I'm just going to assume, I get to live heaven on earth here, like there's no evil or something that needs to be conquered. Now, I know for guys, this is more exciting. Women, oh, I just want to plant plants and enjoy flowers, but all of you have been called to war whether you realize it or not. So this is a part of us that we have to learn. I have to learn this place, all right? So now when we talk about authority, we're going to talk about where are you to demonstrate it? What is the place that God has called you to, and what are the limitations? So let's look at Jesus because he's the example of this. Now this one is kind of fun. God has given you authority in the arena of what comes out of your mouth. It's called authority in words. Okay, so there's two dimensions to this. John, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Now, this is, the, this is actually um, 
there are several passages in the Bible that really speak to me, but this is one of them that the Lord's really had a conversation with me about the United States in regard to this passage in Luke chapter 10. By the way, I'm sure you guys saw this. In, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out 70, and he's telling them their authority. Now, I know that J.R. and Mike have taught on this over and over again, so I'm going to reaffirm this. Luke chapter 10 is a unique passage in the New Testament because it's the only place in all of the New Testament where the Lord is going to describe himself as the Lord of the harvest. And he's going to describe to all of human history how he brings in the harvest and how you're to join him and your authority in regard to that. So, did you guys know this? In this region that God has placed you in, He's the Lord of the harvest for this region. So that actually means that you cannot go into the north end of Denver and say, I know you're the Lord of the harvest up there. Give me all the strategy for north Denver and let me bring it down here to Castle Rock. It doesn't work that way. The authority for this region is given because he knows the hearts of everybody in proximity where you live, and he knows exactly how to bring them into the kingdom, so you're now dependent on him as the Lord of the harvest to reach the harvest wherever you live. The reason we're not reaching the harvest isn't because we don't have the tools or the strategy, is we're not listening to the Lord of the harvest and how he's bringing in the harvest in that region. It has to do the same thing with our family. Have you guys ever heard someone say, well, here's how I led my kids to the Lord. So you try to do it to your kids, and somehow they don't respond, and they get more worse, and you're thinking, well, what did I not get? Well, you took their strategy instead of getting your own strategy for your own family. God knows your kids better than anyone else does. He knows how to unlock their hearts and bring them into the kingdom. You have to get this from the Lord. So here in this passage, he's doing that. And he talks about person of peace. I'm not here to teach on that, but that's significant. In Luke chapter 10, 19, he says, here's your authority. The first one is, is by what comes out of your mouth. You ready? Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall harm you or injure you. Interesting enough, how did he give them authority over serpents and scorpions? These are the symbolic terms for demons. So how did he give you this authority? It's by your mouth, what you say. So, two areas of speech that God has given you. One is called proclamation. This is where the word of God, it tells us in the Psalms that God's word is eternal. It is settled in heaven. Now, guess who challenges the settled word of God? The enemy. So, in a situation... Uh, Someone says, I'm discouraged. I can actually say this over them. Yeah, but God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? We think, well, I'm just saying the scripture to him. But the Bible actually says that has power because it's a higher word of authority to break a lower lie they're believing. And so I can proclaim truth that has power behind it because it's eternal, it's settled, and it never fails. And so I can proclaim it in a situation. Another type of word that Jesus says we have is what is called a rhema word. It's a living word for a situation. This is where the whole prophetic ministry is developed by. It's where God has you get his heart in a situation and speak it. Both words have power behind them. 
I have to say, how do you want me to do it? Now, what everyone thinks is, once I understand my position of authority, every word that comes out of my mouth has authority. It doesn't. Remember, it's under relationship. So there's a passage in the New Testament that a lot of people ask me about. I think it's kind of funny. Where Jesus said, do you know that you're going to give an account for every word that you've spoken? And so if you guys are like me, I thought, oh, no. I'm going to have to give an account for all the stupid jokes I made as I was growing up, uh, comments I've made in front of other believers, like like now saying, guys, can you do you ever watch the Broncos? I mean, they're awful. So now I have to give an account for that in eternity. Is that the words he's talking about there? No. The, when he says you're going to give an account for every word that has come out of your mouth, the word word there is rhema. You're going to give an account for every rhema that's come out of your mouth. Because rhemas are types of words. A rhema word carries spiritual power and spiritual release behind it. Now, rhemas are not just don't come from the Lord. The enemy can give you a thought. You can come into agreement and speak it, and the enemy is released in a situation. That's why he tells you, pay attention where the sources of your words are and what you speak. Those I'm going to hold you accountable for. I bet you guys are blessed by that one, right? So let's keep moving forward. So, um, first time, let me just kind of go over this. So the first time I, I started deciding, you know, I'm going to start praying for the sick. So I pray for the sick, they get worse. Or I pray for them and I get their disease. It was getting kind of frustrating. And so I'm doing this for a year. I, the Lord had already convinced me in my heart, you have authority to do this, but I saw none of it as I did it. It was just awful. I mean, there were pregnant people that I was afraid to get near because I was wondering, I wonder what's going to happen after I get done praying for them. And so the very first time I saw a breakthrough, this, um, this guy invites me, hey, this guy has, um, he needs a root canal. <laughs> Let's go pray for him. Uh, this is in my 20s. And uh, down in Cara Springs. And uh, I'd never prayed for someone that had a root canal. I actually didn't think Jesus healed that kind of stuff. I don't know where I got that idea. So we go to his house, and I'm, I'm like, okay, Lord, come on. I mean, seriously, this is getting old. Give me something here. And, and uh, I didn't sense anything, like you guys probably do when you pray for people, and you think, is the Lord with me or in this or not? So we walk in his house. First thing I notice is this 10 cases of soda pop right by his door. I thought, wow, that's different. And then we go in his house, and, and um, he's sitting there going, well, I have to go to the dentist and get a root, root canal. And he says, I have this infection, and it, and it goes up into my And his eye is actually swelling, and it's draining. And I'm, and I'm just looking at him and thinking, now, I should have had compassion on him. But I thought, well, look at all the soda you drink. Of course you have this infection. <laughs> that's, not, that's not where you go with this. And while, and while I'm telling him that, I'm just I'm kind of like, well, Lord, I mean, seriously, what's going on here? And the presence of the Lord came near me. It actually shocked me. All of a sudden, I felt his love, and I, and I realized his love for this man is beyond my judgment of him. So all of a sudden, instead of criticizing him for why he had it, all of a sudden, and then this intense pain hit my jaw and went up into my eye, and, oh, my God, what is that? And I said, does it go like up like this and shoot into your eyeball? And he goes, yeah. Now, I had never had a word of knowledge like that before. I was so excited. Yes, I got one. <laughs> I didn't even want to pray for him. I was just excited it actually connected. I got a word of knowledge. I mean, I could write books now 
and just tell her, it doesn't matter if he's healed or not. I mean, I just got a word of knowledge. So I, I, not, oh, I actually have to pray for him. So I'm like, what, how do I do this? And the Lord, this is how God does it. He helps you do it. I said, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, well, just speak to the pain and command it to leave. And I thought, now, this is a stupid argument. It works that easy? I actually said, does it actually work that easy? And I hear back from the Lord, yes, do it. So I said, now I'm trying to, well, how do you do this? And so I'm trying to lift my eyebrow and look Pentecostal, and I'm pointing at him. And I, and I said, I, I, pain, leave. And I said, do you feel any better? And he goes, no. And I went, I, I, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so I said, well, thanks. Thanks for letting me pray for you. And, and then he offered me a soda, and I drank it. And then we left. And if you guys ever have these experiences, so I leave, and now I'm like, well, not only did the Lord tell me to do this, when I do it, it doesn't work, and I'm also highly deceived because I think I'm hearing the voice of the Lord as I'm doing it. So I'm working through that all week long. I, Man, maybe I ought to just knock this off and go back to just studying theology. That's safe. And so I'm, I'm kind of working through that in my head. And a friend goes, well, yeah, I know you're discouraged. Let's go to church. So we go to church. And uh, the church um, at that time I was going to, they had choirs, you know. And so we go, and the choir's practicing. And I'm talking to this pastor I've never met before, and we're going into the sanctuary to get ready for a Sunday night service. And I hear this incredible thunderous yell, Aah! And I thought, what kind of song is that? And I'm, I'm looking, and I notice this really tough. Now, the guy, by the way, I forgot to tell you, the guy I prayed for was this Marine uh, that was like six, seven or something like that, weighed about 300 pounds. I mean, he could just kind of crush me uh, if I walked near him. That's him. And he's screaming, and his robe's kind of like filling with air, and he's running towards me. And I thought, well, this isn't good. <laughs> and so he catches up to me, and, he, and, and, you know, I mean, he's just towering over me, but he bends down, and he grabs my arms with my hip and picks me up off the ground and starts jumping up and down like that. And I've had different levels of chiropractic adjustments, but that was, that was probably one of the best ones. I mean, my whole entire spine just cracked. Oh, man. And, and he's just jumping up and down, and, and finally he lets go of me, and I just kind of fall on the ground, and I'm looking back up, and I thought he's going to just kind of like step on me. And he goes... <laughs> guess what? And I'm like, I don't know, what? And he goes, I'm healed. And I, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah. I mean, and then I asked him, what are you healed of? And I said the next day I had to go in, and my dentist, I asked him, well, could you just take an x-ray again to make sure I have to get a root canal? So he does. And, you know, he's looking at his teeth, and he goes, huh. So he's taking more x-rays, and he goes, well, I, I don't know what this is. He says, here's your x-rays from last week when I told you you needed the root canal. You're completely healed. He goes, you're, you're fine. When he said that, so all of a sudden, a breakthrough. It actually works. And so now I'm trying to, like, take that model. Now I have to find everybody on the planet that needs a root canal. And I have to mock them in my heart first, and then the Lord has to break through. And then I have to kind of yell at their whatever and do that kind of stuff. 
Now, that wasn't the point of it. The point was, when God comes and he gives you a word, it releases power in a situation. All right, let's do the next one. I'm, I'm kind of slowing down. I don't mean to do that. Let's speed up. Next area, you have authority. I just told you a story of it, but you have authority to heal. Now, this, this means that you get to heal in all arenas. Now, I don't, different people have different standards. I have a brother. He's a year older than me. We both kind of entered into the healing, praying for healing at the same time. So around the holidays, we compete with each other who had the most profound healing that year. Seriously. We'll be doing it here in a couple weeks. We'll sit in a room, and I'll say, well, who have you prayed for? And he'll tell me. And I'll go, well, what was their hardest one? And, and, and we're competing. It's actually kind of fun. Now, this is what brothers do. You're not supposed to do this. But for a couple years, he was healing people of cancer, and I was like, you're, you're making me really mad. And so I, I started going after that and blind eyes and stuff like that, and we're always doing that. Now, what's so fun about that is my brother and I have a healthy competition to grow in Jesus and to go for it. Now, I want you guys to think about this. You should look at disease and say, all right, now there's a progression of this. I started with headaches and then runny nose and then, you know, the the root canals. And then we got into bones and then legs and then growing legs and shoulders and then colon problems. And we just started moving up to different categories with this stuff. You guys ready? You should be going, okay, now where am I not getting a breakthrough in healing? I need to go after that and go begin to exercise authority in that area. Um, we were doing some meetings, uh, just to give you an example. Uh, we were in Africa, and the, the, I'm doing meetings, and the Lord stops me right in the beginning of the meetings. I want to do a sermon, and he goes, no, pray for people before you do the message. And I'm always trying to tell the Lord, these are not the best time to do these things. Let me wait till the end after I, no, now's the best time, so Okay. So I said, hey, someone here dealing with back problems. So instead of just dealing with like a back issue, this guy stands up and everybody like knows him. And they're like, you know, that that sound they make like, I don't know if God can heal this one. (laughs) And I don't know what's going on. And he's crippled. So I'm watching him and he's he's having a hard time walking. And I'm asking the translator, so what's what's going on with this guy? And he says, well, this man has been shot in the back with a shotgun and he's crippled. And I'm thinking as he's walking forward, uh, this has happened to me thousands of times, and every time it happens, I just, i like, Lord, why do you do this to me? I mean, this is, because you always have to go to the edge and fight through unbelief when you're praying for things. So I'm like, well, I've never prayed for someone that's crippled and been shot in the back. That's beyond me. Where's the headaches? <laughs> and so I have this thing I do. Maybe this will help you guys. I've memorized certain scriptures that when I start falling into unbelief, I I immediately go to them and remind myself of them. So as the Father has sent me, that's one of the ones I use, and then God is with me. And then you know how God anointed Jesus and Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and sent him to deliver all that were under the oppression of the devil. I just remind myself of those. And so he's walking towards me. I'm like, well, here we go. And And he comes... And I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to watch. Now, remember, this is being led by the Lord. I want you to watch me heal him. I thought, oh, great. I don't have to do anything. All I did was say, Holy Spirit, come. And the the power of the Lord came on him and literally started shaking him in front of everybody. It was one of the more fun fun healings I watched the Lord do 
because all I had to do is just hold his hand while his body's shaking under the power of God, and you can just hear God restore him. I mean, it was powerful. Remember, not just the principle, the presence of the Lord. He's called you to heal. Um, Guys, I've seen the Lord heal everything except someone being raised from the dead. And I'm not going to be satisfied if I go into eternity without seeing that. I'm serious. Why not? Jesus said we're supposed to do it. All right, the next one is this. Luke chapter 4, verse 36. God has called you to deliver people. Now, there are different forms of deliverance. I'm going to give you a specific one here. In Luke 4, 36, it says, And amazement came upon them all, and they began discussing with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, Jesus just got done driving a demon out of a person. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this when I tell you this, when it says, And amazement came upon them all. That's a specific Greek word. It's kind of fascinating. It's the Greek the New Testament Greek word for trance. So it really you could be translated this way. A trance came upon them all, and they were discussing with each other. What kind of teaching is this? Now, you're probably thinking, well, why, why do you need to bring that up? Because of this. Most people, when they read Scripture, they don't see the power of God, or they don't see the words that are used for the power of God, so they think this is some low-level thing that's actually happening. When Jesus is driving a demon out of this person that he just got done driving out, it, it, when he had that word amazement came upon them, it's the term that um, you would see in like Acts where Peter fell on the ground because of a trance came on him. There's so much of the power of God in the room that the spirit of revelation is resting on everybody and they're understanding that he actually has authority. You cannot get that without the spirit of revelation. If the Spirit isn't coming powerfully, you can't even recognize who Jesus is even when he does a miracle. Have you guys ever done a healing in front of someone and they're like, where did you get that power from? It's because the Spirit of the Lord isn't touching them. And so it's actually saying the whole entire group is being touched with so much power that they're able to actually see Jesus drive out a demon and recognize the source of it. I think that's significant. Now, the point here is, Now, I don't know if you guys think this way or not. I think it's easier to drive out a demon than do most healings. Demons, uh, if any of you ever done driving out a demon out of someone, it's actually a lot of fun. You learn authority because they challenge your authority. Um, I I had the the fun opportunity of driving out uh, seven different demons out of a person, and I had to learn my authority doing it. And they begged me, and they cried, and they wouldn't listen. And I had to have the Holy Spirit tell me, no, just keep going after them. You have authority over them. Now, you're being told all the time you don't have authority over them. And you're being told through different medias that, oh, they just beat up on Christians all day long. Guys, once they're discovered by you, they try to get away from you as fast as they can. They don't want you to know you're there and the authority you have over them. My, I, actually, it's harder for my dog to obey me than it is to get a demon to leave. So you have authority over demons. Here's look at another one. And this one actually excites me. Luke chapter 5, verse 24. This is another arena of authority that you've been given. It's called the arena of miracles. Have any of you um, studied the idea of miracles and how many miracles are just happening around you all the time. Have any of you ever done that? Oh my goodness. 
My goodness. All right. When God answers a prayer, do you realize, so the term for miracles in the Old and New Testament means the intervention of God to change something. So the whole idea of Christianity is working with the miraculous. Normal Christianity is functioning in miracles. Subnormal Christianity is the absence of miracles. So the way that Jesus did, that's what you're to do. So you should be waking up. Isn't this funny? I'm going to say this to you. You should be waking up every day going, I wonder what miracle I get to observe or participate in today. (laughs) Okay, see if I can just kind of even go harder after this. If you think miracles only happen once in a while, your expectation level will only expect it once a decade, or if never. And yet miracles are a gift of the Spirit. That's how common they're supposed to be. Have you guys ever come into a room and you need the miraculous power of God, so you say, Holy Spirit, would you bring your miraculous power right now into this situation? There's nothing wrong with doing that. You're supposed to do that. That's what God's presence is about. So you've been called to function in miracles. When a prayer gets answered, that's a miracle. Now, the Lord gave this to me a long time ago, and I'm going to share it with you. God doesn't do miracles to prove something. God is miraculous by nature. This, it's normal for him to do that. God is miraculous by nature. So anytime someone comes up to me for prayer, I expect God to do a miracle. I don't sit around going, huh, I wonder if God's going to do something. Now, I wasn't there when I first started. When I first started in the arena of exercising authority, I was surprised when God healed somebody. Now I'm on the other end. I'm surprised when God doesn't do something in a situation. I expect it. That's who he is. All right, let me see if I can give you the example of this. Do you remember the story that we always quote about um, Jesus walking on the water and all the disciples are screaming And then Peter looks at him and says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And and Jesus says, yeah, come on. Now, everybody looks at that. Either they make it symbolic. If you have struggles in life, Jesus walks on the water. Well, that's not really what the passage is talking about. Uh, The passage is actually talking about a miracle and what is the reality of the kingdom of God. So, if you know Jesus right now, you might be living on planet Earth, but you're part of a different kingdom. So, what is that kingdom like? That kingdom takes all the natural laws and the God who actually has made those come out of his nature can suspend them or sustain them or do something beyond them because of his ability by being God. So when Jesus is, when Peter says, Lord, here he's doing something that you can't do in the natural. He's walking on water. And Peter says, if it's you, do you see the connection? Bid me to come. He didn't say, it's you, I'm going to come. He says, if it's you, give me the word and I can do it. So the minute that Peter takes his foot and steps out of the boat and he's standing on water, he's standing on what's called the reality of the kingdom. The whole reality of the kingdom is miracle as a basis. Everywhere you, everywhere Jesus calls you to put your foot and he's commanded you there, you are in the miraculous dimension of the kingdom of God constantly. You should be expecting it. You should be looking for it. It should be what should should sustain you as you live your life. He's the source of miracles. If I don't have miracles happening in my life, I have to ask, am I connected to the source? Um, Let's see if I can do it this way. 
I had the, the awesome privilege, and I'll wrap up with this, had the awesome privilege of incorporating Plumline Ministry many, many years ago. And um, I incorporate it, and I get a call from the federal government. Are you Charles Fenimore? Yes. Did you start a ministry called Plumline Ministries? Yes. How come you haven't filed your yearly 990 form on your ministry? And I said, because I just incorporated it a month ago. All of a sudden, this person on the other end of the phone starts screaming at me and says to me, if you don't get your paperwork in right now, we're going to audit you, and we're going to put liens on your account and the ministry, and we're going to make your life miserable. I actually thought I was listening to the voice of a demon. I thought, okay. So I've only been incorporated less than a year, and I get all my paperwork in, and I send it in. This is such exhausting. I I don't want to tell the whole miserable thing. I send it in. They call me up on the phone. Are you Charles Fenimore? Yes. Are you the director of Plum Lane? Yes. Why did you send your paperwork in? And I said, well, because you guys called me and said if I didn't get it in, you were going to freeze my accounts and lock me up. And he said, well, you weren't supposed to file. It's not, it's not time. Now you're filing incorrectly. If you don't straighten this out, we're going to actually lock up your files and keep you from filing. Now, so now I'm getting this from him. You guys ready? Every month for five years, I'm getting paperwork from the IRS where I have to call them in, I get it resolved, and the next three weeks later, here it comes again, you've filed wrong again. Every year, this is going on. For five years, I'm praying, morning, noon, and night. God! (laughs) And, guys, have you ever gone through a trial that you can't overcome by any of your own ability? And so... And, and you've lost weight over it. You don't sleep anymore. You, you actually are more stressed than anything else. And you think, yeah, I'm victorious in Christ. And I would pray, God, would you do something here? What do you want me to declare? I mean, I poured more oil on everything and screamed over everything and probably spoke in tongues more than any other season in my life. And I could not get a breakthrough. <laughs> And I, you guys get it? I'm walking around the United States teaching and praying, and everyone's getting healed and stuff, and I'm going back to my room where I'm staying, and I'm just crying. I don't get this. Why are you doing all this stuff? And I have the IRS on my case all the time. <laughs> Five years. Okay, let's finish up because it's exhausting. So I'm, I'm leaving Iowa which a lot of people think is uh, an abandoned place of God. I'm driving through the back part of Iowa, and I'm heading through Wisconsin. And I come to this town, which is hilarious. It's called Fenimore, Wisconsin. So I get out, and I'm like, wow, I actually own this city. And so I'm walking around asking people, hey, do you know any Fenimores here? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, I am. (laughs) It's like, I was weird walking around. Anyways. So I get in the car after being all excited about that, and this dread comes on me. Oh, gosh, I'm still dealing with the IRS. And, and they had actually upped the ante. You're not responding to us properly, so we've given you two weeks. If you don't resolve this problem, we are seizing your account, and we're putting a $5,000 fine on you on top of it. <laughs> okay. So I'm driving now. 
uh, out of Fenimore, Wisconsin, trying to go up to La Crosse, and I'm now getting close to, there's this drive that goes by the Mississippi River as you're heading up to La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I'm looking at it, and here comes this bald eagle, and he's flying by that, and oh, that's beautiful. And all this dread comes on me, but my life's going to be over. <laughs> that's how I'm thinking. And I'm crying out to the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, seriously? And remember, I confessed, I prayed, I spoke in tongues, I poured oil, I did everything. I had everyone else praying for me. I had just everything I could think of. I'm in the car, I'm telling him, are you going to, I said, seriously, are you going to do anything or is this the end? Because I'll just go do something else, I don't care. I've had it with this subject. And finally the Lord speaks to me in the car. Brian, this is not going to overcome you in one month this will be over. When he said that, this, now you guys, you've experienced this. I stepped in the water with Jesus. Okay? The minute the miraculous hit me by the voice of the Lord, all of a sudden I was elevated into the miraculous realm, and the first sign that I was in that realm was the peace of God hit my heart. And nothing changed in my outward circumstances, but I already knew I had overcome it because I touched into the miraculous realm of the Lord. Now, what happens usually, what did, Peter, what did Peter do when he hit the miraculous and he didn't know how to maintain it? He started looking at it going, how is this possible? And then blah, 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 fell down back in the water. Right? So, I, I kind of knew that principle. So, the minute it hit my heart, I said, I'm not going to lose this until the month is over. So, instead of just saying, well, instead of going, how is it going to happen? Or what is this going to look like? I decided, you know, I'm just going to reject all that. I've already done all that doubting and being fearful and all that other stuff. I'm just going to thank the Lord for it. I'm going to stay in the realm of thankfulness to sustain the miraculous in my heart until this is one. So I'm doing it every day. I don't care. what, And the enemy's trying to hit me. No, God was lying to you. I don't care. God's going to do it. I'm just thanking, Lord, you're so good. Your word is faithful. And I'm connecting with. Through a series of events, uh, I was leading small groups. Um, leading in my small group, uh, worked for the IRS. The main he- one of the main headquarters is in Kansas City, which I wanted to go blow up many times through this process. <laughs> and, I, and we're talking about my situation again, and she goes, well, why didn't you call your governor about it? And I said, I didn't know you could. And she's like, oh, yeah, they have this division, and your, gover- your governor has this division where if businesses calm, they'll advocate for you with the IRS. And I'm like, well, how come this isn't general information? And they're like, well, I don't know. So I was trying to figure out, do I need to go get a lawyer and all this? And there's this free thing with your governor. Did you guys know that? No. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> so I call up this governor, and I'm telling her what's going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm oh, this is just a nightmare. And she's like, and then she said to me, why didn't you call me like five years ago? I'm like, because I didn't know this was out there. I mean, you guys don't advertise or anything. And she goes, well, give me the paperwork. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we're getting, I'm thanking the Lord, and I think, well, that's not going to go anywhere. And all of a sudden, we're at the one-month one point. And I could tell in my own heart, you guys ready? The, the, the lake of the miraculous. I kept knowing that I was going to overcome, even though I didn't know how. And I'm just going to my mailbox, and this is the time when I usually got the letter. I, I actually could pinpoint the day I was going to get the letter. It was so faithful. So, okay, let's go to the mailbox and get my letter. 
And there it is from the IRS. Hey! So I just rip it open. And I'm reading it. And it's not looking like the language before, which was like the language of, the, of demons. Like we're going to destroy you. All of a sudden it started, Mr. Fenimore, we are very sorry for what we've done to you. Our records have been wrong. We have talked to the governor of the state, and we apologize for what we've done to you. We will never talk to you about this subject again. Immediately, just delivered from it. Exactly on the day the Lord said. (laughs) All right, you guys ready? You have situations in your life where God is telling you, step into the water with me. I'm miraculous. You need to exercise in that arena. You've been over here in fear and despair and worry long enough. You've got enough exercise in that area. It's time to go over here and start exercising this muscle. It's time for you to start understanding this. This is where you're to live. You guys get it? You and I in this room were fashioned for this realm, not that realm. Pray with me. That's right, Lord. Holy Spirit, come with your power and your presence right now. I don't even know why I'm praying this way. It's kind of weird, Lord. Would you flip the switch inside of us right now? Change the way we think about these things, Lord. Change our heart. Lord, let it become an identity inside of us that we understand fully. Connect it inside of us. All the situations that all of us are facing individually, thank you for the opportunity to live in a different realm of authority. This is a blessing from you. We thank you for it. Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command the Father's blessing upon you right now. Strengthen them, love them, and bring them into a citadel of hope. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.